Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to have a conversation. You're invited in to the conversation, and I'm joined by friends. Uh, a lot of you are going to recognize Atia and Sean. Atia is on our praise team. You just heard her sing a couple of songs. We're going to let her really show out here at the end of this conversation <laughs> and song, but she is gifted, and she is anointed, and you guys recognize her, and Sean is her husband. He's a deacon, a new deacon here. Uh, this virus hit, and so you guys haven't been able to get together much, but I know uh, you were nominated and accepted that role and a part of a servant leader here the deacons serve us in living out James 1 and Matthew 25 and caring for people and Sean's leading in that regard and this is totally not fair for me to do but as we begin the conversation tell us about you guys let me give you 60 seconds Sean Sinclair 60 seconds Sean Sinclair 60 seconds is a husband a father a brother a friend um, I have two sons six and seven Taylor and Ryan which I'm very proud of I have a beautiful wife as you all can see it's true uh, <laughs> My daily job is I've been a firefighter for big 14 years in December. I have the wonderful, awesome privilege of teaching at the Mississippi State Fire Academy. One of the things that I love is I get to teach the new candidates how to be firefighters and go back to their community and serve. Awesome. And, uh, and we have a lot of folks from the reservoir, Potter Fronden Church, that will probably be tuning in today, uh, graduate of Northwest Rankin. Yes, sir. And I actually started off at my first job was at the reservoir fire station under Scott Bear and Josh Wells. Yeah, good guys. Good guys. Very good. Uh, who, Atia Sinclair in 60 seconds. I think it's going to take me less than 60 seconds. So, um, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee. I was raised in Olive Branch, Mississippi. I have my doctorate. I am a neonatal nurse practitioner. I am a mother of two. I am the wife to this wonderful man here. And I'm a friend and a sister and really goofy. And I like to eat and read. Very good. And you guys have two boys. I love to see them bounding around the hallways here uh, on Sunday. And different personalities with those guys, right? Okay. A lot of parents say that, that it's your DNA, but they're different in how they express themselves. And one is is rowdy and one kind of holds it in. And yeah. Uh, you guys on April 30th, what's it, five, six weeks ago, celebrated your nine-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. We have a photo of the two, uh, these two folks on a rooftop. This was your wedding night? This uh, is our wedding day. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful picture of you guys uh, celebrating nine years together. Hey, keep it going. Keep gonna, it going. We're going to try if he right. continues to act To like infinity it. and beyond. To infinity <laughs> and beyond, okay? If you're quoting Buzz Lightyear, I like that. We'll throw some Bible and Buzz Lightyear at you uh, tonight. Stay in general before we uh, get into some uh, raw and real stuff. Just tell us in, in general terms maybe your experience with race and racism. I'm a, I'm a white guy. You guys are black, stating the obvious, but uh, there's a lot that maybe we don't understand about each other. But tell us a little bit just generally about race and racism. Good, maybe good, bad? Well, first off, what I want to, ex- want to express is a, my, my wife and myself, by no means do we have the experience of every person who's black or brown, nor are we the authority. So let's get that understood before we even start this conversation. Good, very good. Well received, yeah. That's fair. Very uh, fair. Your good experiences with race, you want me to start? You go ahead. Well, our good experience with race is uh, we served at a multi-ethnic church for Mm -hmm. nine years. And so um, we really got to see the beauty of celebrating cultural differences and coming together. Got to get a glimpse of what they talk about in Revelation 7-9 and really just enjoy people being able to fully express themselves the way God created them. And so that was an excellent experience um, with race, for sure. Um, just the community that we got, it was enriching, and uh, we grew so much. And I think that our relationships that we have, we pray that they grew from being in relationship and community with us. I think my, <clears throat> excuse me. 
I think my best experience came when we lived in South Haven. We had the wonderful privilege of living beside a guy named Chris Trimble, who was a believer that just happened so to be white. Yeah. And so Chris and I had many conversations or debates uh, about politics and also just things going on in general, what was going on in the world. And the beauty of it was I got a chance to hear his perspective. He got a chance to hear mine. And at some point, the Holy Spirit struck. And it was like, stop trying to change this guy. He doesn't need to be changed. He needs to be understood. And you want to be understood. Right. And a lot of, and the beauty of these conversations was they always related back to the Bible or the Word. Mm-hmm. And it got so bad that sometimes, he and I have been there so long, Atiyah and his wife would flick the lights like little kids to bring us back in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that but really, you, had, you had debates, though. Yeah, so it, and, it and, get, and they were healthy. And we were he was mature enough to let me vent, you know, say what I, I mean, some, some profanity came out sometimes. Yeah. He let me, you know, vent to myself and never judge me and say, hey, I understand. I listen to my viewpoint. And, and now still to this day, we're still great and wonderful friends. Yeah. Fun yeah. fact, their children's names are Taylor and Ryan, too. Very good. Just wanted to interject that. I felt there like you it was necessary. Very good. So um, bad experiences, I guess I'll go first. Um, so I have always been like the only not one of several, but the only black person in all white contexts. So um, I can say that I've had a, a list, a laundry list of bad experiences from I've been spit on, I've been called the N-word, I have had uh, racial epithets um, put on my car and my car vandalized. I have um, been hit upside the head with a Confederate flag at a party um, and microaggressions that I experience all the time. I have been told that my hair is too nappy. I have been said that I'm pretty for a black girl. I have been called, my hair has been called unprofessional and too urban. Naturally, I have ADHD, so I'm always too loud and too verbose. You know, I've had the angry black woman, and anybody who's met me, I'm really far from angry. I'm kind of like a Care Bear. Um, But these are just some of the experiences, and there's a laundry list more of things that I continue to experience on a macro and a micro level. But God has called Sean and I, despite our negative experiences, to be racial reconcilers. And so um, despite the weariness that I experience, you know, um, I really am I'm committed to persevere and really try to be a bridge. So, mm. anything on maybe the negative side, Sean? I think the worst experience that I experienced—I think the worst experience that I had was probably when I was in maybe high school playing basketball. My brother and I had left practice to go visit some friends, and we were dropping a friend off at his house, and we made a right to go into his neighborhood, and we put it in the driveway, and the guy was like, "Man, the cops are behind you." So I was like, "Man, no!" I was like, "Not behind me! I didn't do anything." So we get pulled over. I do exactly as my mom said that she gave me the talk. For those of you who don't know what the talk is, is you get pulled over, you have your license ready, you have your hands where they can see them, you don't move, you don't make any sharp moves. If you're going to do anything, you tell them exactly what you're going to do. It's yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir. Don't give them any means to get riled up because you want to make it home. Mm-hmm. So again, knowing what she told me, he pulls up and says, sir, is there a problem? He said, yes, you, sir, you ran a stop sign. Now, mind you, you make a right and get to the neighborhood that's not a stop sign, but there's one to exit. So I said, sir, I didn't run a stop sign. He said, yes, you did, man. I see your license. No problem. He ran my license. Everything came back clean. I said, is there a problem, sir? He said, yeah, I smell marijuana. Now, in my brain, I'm saying, you said I ran a stop sign, but now you say you smell marijuana. I said, sir, this is my truck. There's no marijuana in here. He said, I smell marijuana. I said, sir, I play basketball. I don't, want, I don't smoke dope. I'm not going to jeopardize my future for that. So then he asked, can I search the car? I said, yeah, no problem. I had nothing to hide. So as the, as the four of us are getting out of the vehicle, I notice another car pulls up, and I say, sir, is there a problem that I don't know about? He said, no, this is standard procedure. 
So as we get out of the car, literally, when the last person got out, he put us all in handcuffs and made us sit on the concrete. And I said, um, I said, I, I said, you know, what's going on? He said, I'm searching the car. I said, I said, you're not gonna find any dope in the car. So he's rambling through the car and doing all doing things of this nature and talking back. I'm gonna find the dope. I'm gonna find the dope. I'm gonna. I said, man, you're not gonna find anything. There's no dope. Trust me, it's my vehicle. So probably about this is probably about after an hour and a half into this fiasco, he finally gets frustrated and says. If I bring the dog, I'm going to find something. Now, what are y'all going to do when I find it? Y'all going to get locked up? I said, man, you can search all day long. You're not going to find anything at all. So finally, after that, this is like a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour process at this point. I guess they finally get a real call. He, he, gets, he stands us up. He takes the handcuffs off. He didn't say, thank you for being, you know, thank you. He didn't say, I'm sorry. He didn't say, thank you for being compliant. Then he took the handcuffs off and just left. And I was just like, what's going on? So me and my brother, we got in the car and went back home. Now, mind you, this is one incident out of many, but at the same time, I've never had an incident in my life to where a cop did not come up to the car with his hand on the gun first. And it got so bad to where I actually got a professional firefighter tag to try to try to get a little a little bit of professional courtesy out of the situation. Let me repeat, let me have that. you repeat that just so that I caught it and our and our our people did. You're saying you never had an experience without never. that. Yeah. Never had an experience where a cop did not come up with his hand on the gun first. Yeah. I can attest to that. We've been pulled over on a routine traffic stop where they have come to the car with both of us present and the boys in the back with their hand on a gun. Yeah. Yeah. In uh, Exodus 3, 7, it talks about our God, the character and attributes of our God. You know, man, we let each other down constantly. There's distrust and suspicion. There's hurt. There's um, a lack of reconciliation. Uh, Exodus 3, 7, early, early in the book, it talks about our God and it says, I've seen your misery to a people who were oppressed, to a people who were looked down and marginalized. I've seen your misery. I've heard your cry. I care about your suffering. Um, Atiyah, you in particular, um, back um, in when, what happened, the murder in Georgia, I know you cried out. In fact, I'm very mindful of this because you, you uh, had posted uh, the words from Psalm 13 that you've heard me talk to our church about. That was the first lament that we looked at. And you cried out, how long, O Lord? And then after Minnesota, uh, you had gotten stronger in your language and, of course, probably in your feelings. And you said, I'm just sick and I'm weary and I'm burdened. Talk to us about those words in particular and your pain. So for many of my white brothers and sisters, this is their first time becoming aware of the racial tensions and police brutality and innocent lives being taken. Um, but for Sean and I, um, ever since I was pregnant with Taylor, we have mourned the deaths of Trayvon Martin, Tatiana Jefferson, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, um, Jordan Davis. Um, it's just a long list of names, like in the hundreds. Um, and we have seen their lifeless bodies going viral on social media um, and just grieving. And, you know, we've heard Christians like insinuate that they were deserving of their deaths. Um, and it makes us question, like, you know, why should I have to argue about the sanctity of a life if we as Christians are boasting about being pro-life? Right. Um, and so... It has been grievous, especially the callousness um, in the wording. I think there's just such a cognitive dissonance because it's not 
your experience that causes people to have an apathy um, and a detachment from the mourning that people are experiencing. Because when I see George Floyd and I see Ahmaud Arbery, I look at my seven and my six-year-old and wonder if somebody's going to feel threatened by them as they jog or um, as they, you know, possibly have a counterfeit bill during a routine transaction at the grocery store and not make it home. And so um, I do think that a lot of times um, because we are black, we experience these things real on a real level. Um, And I've noticed that just because we've been committed to reconciling that our white friends um, are mourning it more because I really do think that a lot of times um, proximity is what breeds empathy. Um, And so they had not been aware of it before because they have been in homogenous circles. And now um, I can say that a lot of our friends have stepped up and grieved with us. But um, it's tragic and it's gut wrenching and it's not the way God intended for things to be. Um, So, yeah, I have been very verbose on my Instagram and will continue um, just because there are a couple more people that we want to see receive justice for their lives taken prematurely. Mm build on that what does it mean to have white brothers and sisters mourn with you this is that that lament question really Mm -hmm. just the um participating in the in in your pain well i'll start and then babe you want to um what it looks like for our white brothers and sisters to come alongside us and lament is to actually put themselves in our shoes so imagine that it's your son Mm -hmm with his body prone and police officers standing idly by while someone puts the body weight on their neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. You know, imagine that it's your child that somebody busts down their apartment door on, um, trying to arrest people for um, drugs and it's the wrong house and your child was slain in their sleep. Unarmed and slain. Unarmed, you know, and imagine it's your child jogging in the neighborhood and someone had um, insinuated their criminality just from looking at the color of their skin and hunted them down in their truck and slaughtered them in the street. Um, And there was a viral video and there were arrests had been made for two months. You would want justice. You would be outraged. You would be hurt. Um, And so a lot of it is really doing what God called us to do is loving our brother, asking yourself who your neighbor is, um, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So literally inserting yourself and not thinking that it's outside the realm of past possibility for you Mm -hmm. to experience these things because Mm -hmm. we are being slain unarmed Mm -hmm. innocently for minor infractions, Mm -hmm. um, And it's not because we're inherently evil as a a people or, you know, I've heard that because we have the curse of ham. um, If we are believers, Bible believers, we know that sin is the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. So all of us have sinned and fallen short. So just as valuable as your child's life is to you, your mother's life is to you and your brother's life. We just want our lives to be just as valuable. Mm. So it's listen. It really and is. Put, Listen, put, and put yourself in your shoe, their shoes, and and you know it's we're all human, we're all people, and mm. so it shouldn't be um, this critical thinking, logical thing to mourn with somebody. Mm. Someone lost a life, mm. and that's that it can't be returned to them. Mm. Mm. Amen to that, Sean. Amen. 
Um, and uh, anybody questioning what, uh, what you're saying, I, I, I'll tell you, you know, it's the facts are facts, and every, it's more than every other day a black person is killed at the hands of a law, law enforcement officer, and that's something that ought to have our attention. That's something, um, and I will tell you, if I can get through this part, I, I watched George Floyd, the torture and murder, a few times myself. And as odd as it is as a pastor to say this, I would encourage everybody to if you haven't. But my daughter watched a little bit of it. And then the second time she watched a little bit of it with me. And she's 18, about to turn 19. And we're parents. And uh, to see her emotion, you know, to see her face. And she's got blue eyes that just, you know, light up. And um, But to see those eyes just tear up and to see the face contort. And she said, um, as George Floyd called for his mom and said, I can't breathe and stop it. You know, she said, Dad, I can't. And she, she ran out of the room in tears. And an hour later, she, was, she texted me from across the house. Uh, when, <laughs> when you guys become teenagers, they'll do that. They'll text you from across the house. But she said, Dad, what's that Will Smith quote? And Will Smith had said something. Though years ago, he had said something that really came to the surface again after George Floyd's murder. And she had uh, asked me about it. I was able to drop that quote to her, and she posted it. And it made me proud, a small step, I know, but to see that emotion. Um, and I get a sense that, you know, we, we've sung Ebony and Ivory for a long time. We've seen movies like Remember the Titans uh, a, for a long time. But I, I feel like this could be, and I'm really maybe saying it because of, of my people, white people, seeing my daughter and knowing in my own heart, um, confession, 10, 15 years ago, I shouldn't say it, Sean can take me out here, but... Uh, 10, 15 years ago, there were probably some times, time or two in my haste and in my whiteness, I thought, well, let's, let's, see, it. let's see how it plays out. <laughs> Sorry to say this, but in my thought, let's get the facts. Right. Let's, let's, let's get the whole story. And, uh, and so I'm learning and we're learning and, and you're a fan of the facts just like I'm a fan of the facts. Let's let that show. Uh, you don't hate police officers like I don't hate police officers. We'll talk about that in a moment. But um, let me ask you, do you... Do you feel like something's different this time? Do you feel like uh, there's something stirring in us that could lead to greater justice? I think so. I, I think the, the biggest thing is this time, I feel like it's more gospel, gospel-centered gospel than anything. It's not just raw emotions. Mm-hmm. I, and I think the biggest thing that we're missing is the church had to stand up and say something. Yeah. Too many times we've left it up to would-be protesters or the government, things like that. It's time for the people of God to stand up and say something like this. Is, this is an outcry People have been saying for since the, our people been since, since the beginning of the time, yeah. like some four hundred and some odd years. Yeah. And now that you see it on Facebook, Instagram, it's not a lie. Yeah, it can't. If you're sitting there visibly watching it, it can't be a lie. Yeah, that man was on the ground for eight minutes and forty seconds, forty six yeah. seconds, screaming for his life. Mm-hmm. The man's mom is dead. Mm-hmm. He he screamed for his mom and she's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. That right there should that's right that should resonate with somebody. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. for sure. Thank you, thank you for that passion too. Um, Law enforcement officers, what, one of the commitments I'm making as a, as a faith family here, I want you to hear it, want you to hear it, and want you to keep me accountable. Um, maybe respond. You can not respond if you so choose, but um, heard from a few folks that I know and love, uh, one like this who said, Robert, I'm, um, I'm feeling lonely right now. My husband's in law enforcement. The car's parked out front. Uh, we feel like there could be a target on him. Uh, we love everybody. Um, 
do what you're going to do. Move our church toward race of reconciliation, but please pray for our safety too. Any, any response to that? So my response actually is going to be, I feel the same way when I walk out of the door every morning. Right. I feel isolated Target. with a target on my back. Yeah. And to be honest, for law enforcement, any, any servant of the community, I, I pray the same prayer I pray for myself. Yeah. I just want, I pray that when I, when I leave in the morning, I get to make it back home safe to my family with no harm done to me. Yeah. No different. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely empathize with law enforcement officers and not, not all of them um, do their job poorly. Yeah. Um, but it is a, a real problem and there needs to be radical reformation within, you know, law enforcement. So, um, yeah, we pray that they make it home safely to their, their families too. Yeah. Um, we just pray that their fear of not making it home um, would not cause them to be reactionary um, when it comes to minorities. Our, when we went out, the four of us, and double-dated uh, months and months ago, um, we were all delighted to know that we, um, well, your former pastor, one of your former pastors, and I'm, by the way, so gracious you come here, uh, not because of race, but because you guys sat under the teaching of Brian Loritz, and, uh, and we both have um, a lot of admiration for his dad, Crawford. Absolutely. Yes. And, and just speaking as a white guy, I don't know if it came up at dinner that night, but I was a college student, um, and went and heard Crawford speak to Campus Crusade for Christ spring break, and mm -hmm. he brought it, and it was just, uh, and I was really impressed by who he was as a man, who he was as a, uh, my perception anyway, of him as a husband and father, and it was really good for me as a white guy to see a strong black man, and I've, I have followed him ever since college, uh, his teachings and what he said, and now a son, Brian, uh, grew up and became uh, your pastor, and I heard Brian say um, several years ago, that are talking about law enforcement as a black man, as someone who speaks prophetically in the church to white and black and brown and everybody, he said, uh, you know, we um, love and respect everybody and we need the law. We need law enforcement officials and there's a whole lot of them doing their job well, but you can't tell me, he said this, that total depravity has, has not visited our police departments. And so that's, that's what we have and what you've experienced and it's the world that we're living in. And so I, I do hope that we can have more conversations in the future and even include that so that, every, that, that we know that we're listening and, and, um, and um, I think that'd be good and healthy. Is this political for you guys or is it biblical? biblical. Is it? I can care less about politics. Yeah, okay. I mean, we care about politics, you yeah. know, but... But that's um, not your motivation. You it's, know, my yeah. citizenship is in heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are definitely, uh, we don't have a conservative or liberal lean because I just don't believe that Jesus chose any party. So yeah. we try to follow that way. But mm -hmm. no, this is definitely about biblical justice. This is about what Christ talked about. He talked about taking care of the less fortunate, the impoverished, and the poor. And um, he talked about taking care of the orphan. Um, and so I think that our anger is righteous and our desire for justice is not abiblical, if that's a word. It's not heretical. It is in line with the teachings of Christ. The red letters in the Bible. Yes. And that's really what I want um I want our church to know as the pastor and their pastor and as I am uh, your pastor is that I don't um, have a political agenda in this. I think that I think uh, there's a lot brewing in our community and our church family. Uh, we were contacted today from uh, some leaders down the street at a Presbyterian church in America and conservative, predominantly white church that we um, love. And uh, there's leaders there and there's something swelling up about changing the flag and, and seeing some laws on the books 
that would give voice to everybody and allow us to be a more just society and to deal with uh, the things that are not just uh, that hurt us and that disproportionately hurt people uh, of color. But my motivation, and this is what I love, um, you know, one white person talking to two people of color, but I think our motivation is the same. How we live and express life has its differences and we, we need to learn from each other. But yeah, I want to be biblical. I want to be a theological. And I remember, uh, I always get a kick out of Sean when he comes into church and uh, he a lot of times looks over at me on the front row, a little bit late, sometimes walking in. And I got to take the kids where they got to go. Got to take the kids. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's got, he's got his excuses church. But anyway, I, I remember looking over at Sean at, during communion one time and just um, thinking about how communion we all it's a confession that we make as believers and we've done it through the millennia we do this in remembrance we've done it at home some people have criticized that i can't believe you're taking communion at home like there's some bible verse that tells us not to do it but that's a that's another subject but when i remember taking communion one time and just thinking that you know this the lord's supper is not about just reconciliation to god you're a sinner, you need a savior, he's Jesus. You're a sinner, you need a savior, he's Jesus. I'm a sinner, I need a savior, he's Jesus. So we worship together saying we need that, but it's reconciliation with each other. And think about it, Jesus, the first communion, we've had a bunch together, but the first communion was Jesus and 12 Jewish men. But really quick after that, it became, it became Jews and Gentiles. It became men and women. It became slave and free. It became rich and poor. And in Acts 2 at Pentecost, they waited and it was a people that really was close to heaven, different tongues and tribes and nations. And in Acts 4, they took it to the house. It says the church didn't just gather in the temple. That's important. Y'all come to church, people. But they, they gathered in the homes. And you know, when you come over to somebody's house, you, you, you grant them refrigerator rights. So think about that. People of color, people of different backgrounds were granting each other refrigerator rights. The church went house to house. And in Acts 6, John, you're a deacon. But in Acts 6, the story of deacons being started was a group of minorities yeah. of Grecian women who felt what they felt like the dominant culture was ignoring their needs. Mm -hmm. And what did the church do? The church didn't say, oh, let's just continue to ignore their needs. Let's downplay their needs. Let's be defensive because we're the dominant culture. They established a system with people, mm -hmm. men in particular who were full of the Holy Spirit, who uh, had wisdom and guidance, and they led. And it was, a, it was just a beautiful thing to see the church do that. You keep reading in Acts 8, and you see Sumerians and Ethiopians encounter the gospel because the message of Jesus is for all. And then you see in Acts 10, Peter's on the roof, and he learned another lesson from God about it's not just for your people, it's for all people. And then you see Acts 13, and in Acts 13, we see church leadership that was very diverse. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Y'all pray for us. Uh, I was thinking as you were talking uh, specifically about um, when um, Paul felt that like his ministry was to send the gospel to the Gentiles um, and how Peter, when he was with the Gentiles, treated them fairly and justly. But when he was around other people that had Jewish custom, he um, rejected the Gentiles. Um, and just as verbose as Paul was in um, rebuking Peter, we have to be both cognizant of our own biases, mm -hmm. our own prejudices, mm -hmm. and we have to be willing to do the uncomfortable thing and rebuke people because it is a biblical precedent as you expounded yeah. upon so eloquently. Um, and it is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. That learning, it's been good for me to, for the first time really consistently in my life, learn from other authors uh, that aren't my skin color 
that are way smarter than me that have good things to say. And I was challenged uh, this week even, digging deeper, but challenged of uh, the predominant white culture when we say, hey, slavery, forget that. It was 400 years ago. Y'all forget that. But you know what we do? 9-11, never forget. Never forget. Never, never forget. Boom. Boom. Right. And, and I read that and I'm like, wow. I mean, honestly, convicted. So who am I to say something that happened uh, ought to be forgotten uh, when we still feel the effects of it mm-hmm. and people of color in particular. And so for me, you know, we screamed, why, why do we say um, never forget? Because we want justice and we want to make sure there's continued justice and someone did us wrong and we still the, feel the effects of that. And notice the phrase never forget. In other words, let's keep it going. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so very convicting for me and very needed for me um, as a white man and a pa- pastor in particular to hear that, to, to overcome some of my own biases. And in a, in a kind of a weird way, that puts me uh, in shoes of people of color to learn that. Um, any, any other thoughts? I don't want us to leave anything on the table. Um, I guess my final thought would be addressing racism as a marathon is not a sprint. Mm. Like it's going to take, you know, it's, this right here is a small step to a long, long journey that where we have to, you know, it's going to end up being something we have to finish for. It's going to be a, a while. Yeah. And here's the thing. Reading the Bible, reading books are great. But if, you, if we're trying to address this thing, you got to get your hands dirty. Okay. You're going to have to have some conversations with some people and you got to listen to some things that they got to say that you don't want to stomach too well. Yeah. And you don't have to agree with it. But again, Listen to understand, don't listen to fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, like you, like you said, we don't need to be fixed. We just want to be understood. Yes. The person, only person who can fix us is Jesus Christ. Yes. Period. Yes. Period. Mm. Um, I, I, we ne- may need to pause there and just let that sink in. Right. I agree. Um, <laughs> very good. And anything to you? I just um, wanted to say that I agree with Sean that this is a long game thing. Um, it. I mean, racism is just interwoven into our fabric of societies, of many societies, and it impacts a lot of systems. It impacts our educational system, our justice system. And so um, this is just a beginning conversation. But what I want to challenge us all is to be Christians in both word and deed, have faith and action, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Yeah. I saw you post that. That's Um, good. You posted it, now you're preaching it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Reiterating. Reiterate. Repetition <laughs> aids learning. I appreciate that. Um, my commitment is to continue uh, with my learning. Um, conversations I've had with my wife and our kids remind me there's a lot for us. And it is sometimes when you say that, it, it, it's almost like, well, we're not good or we're inferior or, you know, the dominant culture is inferior and we get defensive. And it's like uh, there's been some really bad videos circulating around the internet and on the news channels of white people having to, you know, bow down and say, I'm apologize for my white privilege. And that was really weird. It's weird stuff that's happening. There, you know, there's snippets of truth in it, but it's just, it gets uh, certain people defensive. And, but I challenge my, my oldest son, he'll be a senior, remarkable young man, very smart, but I challenge him not to just, you know, uh, look at his tribe and his people on Twitter, but to make a commitment to read outside. And so my commitment as a, as, a, as a man, as a pastor, is putting it this way. I've journaled it yesterday. My Savior and my circle. My Savior, listen, Hebrews 2, 19, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Mm. 
And so I need to pastor for everyone. Mm-hmm. I need to preach to everyone. And even though an indictment on us, even though we only have a few people of color in our church, I need to prepare myself and other people um, to make sure we understand that Jesus tasted death for everyone. So it's, it's my Savior, our Savior, let me say. And then my circle. Um, what kind of people are we going to be uh, if we, you know, we're, we're more desirous. I'll tell you the truth. I know you sense this, but again, it's, it's hollow, but we want to be a more diverse church. We want you guys to find, if God's willing and leading, to find a, a long-term, long-term faith family here. But we, we want to grow in that. We really, really do. But uh, it's hard on Sunday. Uh, um, I'm quoting from a pastor we all know, a black pastor, but it, it, you know, we white people want Sunday to look one way, but our Saturday night looks another way. And so my circle, uh, pray for me, actually, uh, for our circle to look different, um, that, you know, many of us w- won't say in, when we run this um, marathon together that a year from now and 10 years from now, uh, all, we won't be able to say all my friends are white and all the authors that I read from that plant ideas in my head are white and all of the theologians and pastors that I admire are white and all my trusted mentors are white and my church is predominantly white. So I'm praying that we would look at our Savior, the one who tasted death for everyone, and that uh, that would change our circles. Um, guys, we uh, appreciate you. And uh, Sean, you got something. Can I, uh, two books that a friend of mine, a pastor, a very trusted pastor, a black uh, pastor, recommended to me as well as Jesus and the Disinher- and Disinher- Disinherited rather, by Howard Thurman, and also... White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. He said those are very, very great books. Yes. And uh, Sean and I would like to say that we're availing ourselves. Last year, we've been at Fondren Church for a year now. Yeah. God called us specifically to this church to be reconcilers. And yeah. so uh, don't feel like you are fatiguing us. Let us lay that before the Father. But we are a resource. If you want to have dinner, if you want to have coffee, mm-hmm. if you want to ask your questions, uh, we promise to try our best to give you um, space to do that so that we can have a dialogue and prayerfully um, build a friendship and build a community. Good. And we'll put the two that you recommended up on the screen so mm-hmm. that everybody that's viewing this, I think most people will be viewing this as a part of a church uh, experience on a Sunday morning and many, many others watching it uh, throughout uh, the week. And so thank you guys and thank you all for who you are. We're going to sing in a little bit. Atiyah is going to be a part of that. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I, I snuck in here the other night. Y'all didn't know it, but I was uh, listening uh, from, the, from the baptistry and I'm really looking forward to these two songs. A church, would you join with me as the three of us uh, pray? Um, and you join us. Our Father, we are delighted in the experience to move away from distance, which breeds suspicion, uh, to proximity that breeds empathy and understanding. And God, thank you for our friends, for these guys who uh, feel called here and who specifically accepted the challenge, my invitation to be here today. They prayed about it. They gave it thoughtful consideration and said, Pastor, we're all in. We want to be a part of this. And I thank you that they've been good on their commitment. And thank you for the knowledge they have. Thank you that it is, um, it's biblical, it's theological, it's their heartbeat, and it does flow from their life experiences. And God, I pray that we would, we would, we would, we would say, help me understand, but we would also do the hard work of reading and learning and understanding. And just as Sean and I in particular have laid out a couple of things that have helped us that speak truth, 
into apathy and indifference and at times ignorance, I pray that we all would grow in our learning. And the challenge, Lord, I pray we would accept that this would not be a sporadic exercise in goodwill, but this would, be, this would begin a steady embodiment of understanding, learning, and empathy. And this is our prayer in Christ Jesus. Amen.